Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with Darius and Justin, your backstage pass to the eight and nine figure e-commerce world. Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show by Atkins Agency. And today we'll be interviewing Trevor Krotz, an e-commerce entrepreneur and president of Body Brands, an innovative manufacturer disrupting the pet industry with award-winning products. And in today's episode, you will learn how to dominate oversaturated niches, increase your conversions, and the new emerging technologies in e-commerce space that are about to revolutionize how we are shopping. So, hey, Trevor, super happy to have you here. Hey, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Could you quickly maybe introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So my name is Trevor Krotz. I'm the president of Buddy Brands. We are a solution-based pet products manufacturer based in the United States. Really, we have a collection of brands in our portfolio. And what kind of ties them all together is we have a super hyper focus on solving real problems for pet people. So we don't do like cute dog shirts or Christmas sweaters for dogs. Those are awesome, but that's not what we do. What we do is we create products that are built to last, products that relieve allergies and itching, pain, anxiety, things that really are problematic for dogs. We got started doing that about 10 years ago, almost now. And at the time, I had my dog, Buddy, who's a big Labradoodle. And I was really surprised when I took him to the vet to discover that dogs like him really didn't end up living too long. In fact, their lifespans were quite a bit shorter than their smaller counterparts. And so I dug into it a little bit further and come to find out the reason why most big dogs live not as long as smaller dogs is because big dogs suffer a lot more from painful joint problems. So they have quality of life issues and that leads oftentimes for mercy and for euthanasia. And so knowing all this at the time, I was actually working in the mattress industry as a corporate trainer. And I'd seen firsthand how all these different support systems had really made a difference for humans. And I can see how a pressure-free support system had relieved back pain and helped with arthritis. And so I started looking at something that was going to be a great support for my dog. And there was nothing else out there at the time. You know, there's a couple beds that claimed to be supportive, but they were using like the same foam that you ship products in. Uh, And so seeing there was nothing out there, I decided to do something for my dog, Buddy, and the millions of dogs out there that suffer the same fate as him with painful arthritic problems. And so we created Buddy Rest Pet Products, the world's best, most supportive, high quality dog beds. And that's really where we got started. Yeah. And I don't like if a lot of like bigger breeds are suffering from the same problem. So it's not just, you know, about one breed. And it's actually a huge issue because it's one of the most frequent problems of dogs. As we were very sad, you know, to see this. Tell me, you know, how did you get to a first sales? You know, a great idea, right? You know, first of all, for your dog, but how did you transition into getting the sales and, you know, maybe thinking about making this as a business? Sure. The beginning was very difficult, I got to tell you. We decided to take a product. We made a product. For one, we hired a local upholstery company that made us a cover. And I found some foam and we cut it up. We made a dog bed. And then we used some tactile pressure mapping that I borrowed from a friend that's the same type of technology they use in the mattress industry. They also use it in like wheelchair seats and that kind of thing to make sure pressure redistributes equally across the bed. And so we took this product. I hired somebody on Elance at the time to create a website because I didn't really have any idea what we were doing. We took it to a local pet show and we showed everybody this bed. You know, it was rather expensive for everyone's taste at first. And I had a lot of people say that no one's going to buy a bed that's over $100. Nobody's going to spend over $100 on a dog bed. But then we got a lot of other customers that really were interested and wanted to know more and were really thought that we had something cool. And not only that, wanted to buy our bed. And the, the problem was when we launched at this local pet show, 
We put all of our energy and resources into it, but we only had a prototype. We actually didn't have a mm. bed to sell. Yeah. And so when people wanted to buy a bed, we didn't have a bed. Our website that we had on this big banner behind us wasn't working because our Elancer had ghosted us and didn't get the uh, website yeah. done in time. So it was kind of a mess. But out of that was really born something special where even though we didn't have a bed to sell people, we realized that there was a demand, even just in, in speaking with a few local dog people, people wanted a more supportive bed that wasn't just going to be thrown away, you know, after they wash it once or twice. And then the disposable mentality of having yeah. to keep buying these things over yeah. and over. So with that validation, we decided we got our website up and running and we took a crash course on Google AdWords and I started to like deal with the learning curve of how to deploy yeah. AdWords and we made our first sale. And then a couple of weeks later, we made a second sale and then a third sale and then a fourth sale. And then it just kind of started snowballing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all, you know, mainly for web page channels, but I think a good lesson here is just do not be afraid to go to live shows, etc. Just to ask for a feedback and validate demand, especially if you're creating a new product because, you know, new product creation is a relatively expensive process. Mm -hmm. So I know, you know, from when you started to right now, your online store certainly changed, right? And over the years, you have been working on improving conversion rate, etc. You know, could you tell me, you know, how it looked before versus right now and what were maybe like key indicators and changes that helped you? Absolutely. I think it's a great question. So, you know, when we first started, we started off on Joomla, which was what the developer we hired at the time suggested. We knew nothing about it. Yeah. And then after a couple of years and we had some success, we, we started seeing some good sales and we started building the business. I decided to take the website over to Magento's platform because that was what all the big dogs had at the time. Bigger companies were on Magento. So we wanted to be a big company. So we needed to be there too. What I quickly found out was Magento wasn't for us. It requires a lot of development. It wasn't necessarily a out-of-the-box solution. And also, we kind of found out that if you want to make adjustments to a little bit of code here and there, it's easy for the whole thing to collapse. Yeah. Being entrepreneurs in the beginning, and I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, when you're in the beginning, you don't necessarily have the luxury of big development teams and fancy tools. So you got to learn how to be kind of scrappy right, and figure things out the best you can. So after a long time of throwing a lot of money away with developers and whatnot, we were looking for a solution that we could have more control over. So a few years back, we moved over to Shopify. Yeah. And at the time, I was actually remembered not being super impressed with a lot of the apps and features of it, but I was impressed with the user experience and especially the ability and the ease of use for me to be able to go in there and make changes on my own without having to hire expensive development. And so... Uh, we transitioned to Shopify and they have uh, obviously grown into have a super robust offering of apps and, and pretty much everything that you can want to do with a website you can do on Shopify now. Take us back a step as far as the way our company looks different. We started off just in the dog bed business, but over time we became opportunistic and we realized that even though we had a really great business and we were a market leader in this niche, it was still a pretty small niche. And yeah. so we've been looking at how do we find ways to acquire more market share we did that through a couple different acquisitions. We bought some companies that were in our best space, and then we built a couple different brands as well. So going back to the beginning, when I said, buddy, brands has a collection of brands under our portfolio. Yeah. The reason for that is pretty simple. Not all dog people are the same. And so in this day and age and in digital marketing, it's super important to build a moat around your brand and have a brand messaging that resonates directly with your customers. And since not all dog people are the same, it requires different types of brands with different types of mm. brand voices in order to really resonate with those different types of dog people. But yeah, it's been a long journey. 
We're happy to be on Shopify now. We've <laughs> yeah. got our brands all over the place selling in multiple different channels from e-commerce and retail. And it's been great. It does look a lot different than when we started, I promise. Yeah. And what level you have been at, you know, when you decided to start with acquisitions because they know it's very efficient growth channel, right? And growth metric that quite a bit of our clients right now are exploring. But I know that we're about 25 million a year, 30 million a year level to explore these things. You know, I would highly recommend people explore them much earlier than that. You yeah. don't have to be a big company to make an acquisition. Small yeah. companies buy other small companies all the time. And the other thing is, I would say, is if you're in the process of actively trying to sell or you have someone that's trying to acquire you or you're trying to acquire someone else, something I'd like to put out there is important to keep in mind is if it's a strategic buyer you're selling to, you really don't know the value that you might have to them. You can look at your customer list and your revenue and you can look at different multiples things are trading at. But at the end of the day, it's important that you have the understanding that you don't really know what the value is to that other people because you might be that one missing piece or they might be buying you for (laughs) different reasons you might be thinking they're buying you. They might want just this one little thing that completes their piece of the puzzle that's worth $10 million. Meanwhile, you're valuing the company at $3 million. So don't be afraid to approach the unknown with a high ask. So have you raised the capital or just, you know, did like a standard thing where you're just dropping like 10 to 20% upfront and, you know, paying the rest like three, four years later? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've bootstrapped our company. So we organically built it with our own money, our own sweat equity. And I highly recommend doing that because a lot of people I see raise capital off right off the bat. And we did eventually raise some capital to help accelerate our growth. But I see a lot of people that go right out of college into entrepreneurship or right into raising money. And then all of a sudden they've got lots of money. It really makes it inefficient because without learning some of life's lessons, as far as how to (laughs) operate on a shoestring budget and how to acquire customers cheaper, it really does yourself a disservice to have everything in front of you. What I often see happens is these companies, they spend all their money and they run out of money and there's no, they didn't have the hockey stick growth that they promised everybody. (laughs) And so unfortunately when that happens, Often companies are dead in the water. I find not for everybody, this approach obviously depends on what kind of industry you're in and what window you have. But a lot of people I think would be better served from going into the market, validating it, building it one customer at a time, and maybe finding a little bit more of a slower growth trajectory at first. Once you've got that down, you've got a solid foundation laid, it makes it a little bit easier for one to go raise money because you can show people what you've done with next to nothing. You can show them your progress. And then they're going to know that you're going to be more responsible with their cash. And then once you've got the money, then you are going to be more responsible with their cash. So I definitely recommend if you do raise money that you start off a little scrappy first. Exactly. You just learn, you know, unit economics, basically, you know, first, basically how to make the profit out of what you are selling, right? Because the biggest mistake that I'm seeing, like a lot of entrepreneurs who just raise cash and literally, you know, expect to make money three, four years later after acquiring the customers. But, you know, it's not always working out. This is why like 95% of startups just fail in like three, five years, you know, after initial investment just runs out. Absolutely. And in this day and age, it's it's super important to understand that things don't always go as planned, right? And so in an ideal world, that hockey stick growth that we use to raise all this money for is hopefully it's going to work. But the odds are success rarely goes like that. Usually it goes like this slowly over time. And if you can survive and advance and stay in the game long enough, you'll start to eventually compound and reap the benefits of it. But I definitely agree. I see way too many people come on the scene, raise a bunch of money and burn through it and then burn out. And then you don't see or hear from them again. 
And tell me, you know, what are like new features and technologies here in the e-commerce space that you're seeing emerging and you're excited about? Because I know you're like in 3D for e-commerce, right? So maybe you can talk yeah. a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of things on the horizon that is right, actually not just on the horizon, but right here, right now that is super exciting. I'm a huge, huge proponent of the post-sale upsale. I think that that's going to be revolutionary for a lot of people, especially <laughs> once we can get the the goal, the holy grail that I'm after, I call the the post-sale upsale subscription swap, which is when you yeah. have somebody that makes the decision to buy something. And then after the fact, you ask them to subscribe to it instead, and, and it'll swap that out. We're not quite there yet. We're working on some things. And I know there's a lot of great partners for Shopify that are working on some things natively now. I think the thing that I'm most excited about is the deployment of 3D, as you mentioned. So we have a 3D e-commerce company called ScanShop, uses technology by ScanBlue. And what that does is it uses a piece of hardware that scans any item and it auto-populates a brilliant, beautiful 3D model that you can deploy into e-commerce. So why do you want to deploy a 3D model into e-commerce? It's really simple. It's a no-brainer. By giving people the ability to see the item and really look at it from different axes and also, in some cases, deploy it into augmented reality and see what it looks like in their space or in their room you really raise their confidence level and their perceived value of the product. It answers a lot of the questions ahead of time, and it's going to increase your conversion rate. Much like having bigger, high-quality images of the photo increases your conversion rate, just the 3D piece alone will increase the conversion rate. But it's super important in 2020 because it bridges the gap between shopping at home and shopping in a store. In fact, it's even better than shopping in a store because now you can take that couch or that dog bed or whatever it might be and, and put it in your house using your phone. It works with everybody's smartphones now, all Android and Apple. You can deploy this technology right now and it really will make a difference for your customers. So if you are a e-commerce person and you want to increase your conversion rate and you want to reduce your returns, then you must invest in 3D. The real question isn't whether it makes sense or not because everybody really understands that this is the way we need to go. Like I said, it is a no-brainer. The problem is, is how do we get that item into 3D? So currently, the most common way right now, and has been for the last couple of years, is to hire a 3D modeler. So you hire a human being. Which is expensive, yeah. It can be expensive. You give them a product, you give them them some images, and they they create a rendering. So the fundamental problem with that is, is that ultimately, that you have a human being that's creating their interpretation of what the product Mm. is supposed to look like comparatively speaking. And to be fair, a lot of those can be beautiful. They can be great. They can also take a lot of time. They can be expensive. And because the human elements in there, they can be very inconsistent. So if you have a product that you want to create a 3D model of, one thing that's super, super important is the authenticity. You know, we are in the trust business. People are giving us their credit cards, giving us their money because we're making a commitment to them that this is the product that they're going to receive. And they put their trust in us. And so when a product shows up and it's not the way it's supposed to look like or not the way they remember it, you break that trust right then and there. And that's a cardinal sin in e-commerce. So when I go back to talking about increasing conversion rates and reducing returns, what they see is what you want them to get, right? What shows up on the porch is what you wanted them to see when they made that decision. So when you think about all that and you put it together, the quality of the model is paramount. It needs to be a photorealistic model that accurately represents the great product that you're deploying for your customer to see. And if it has a lack of quality or a lack of authenticity, 
that's going to do the opposite. It's not going to increase conversion rates and reduce returns. It's going to do the opposite. So with ScanShop, we use this revolutionary technology. It, what it does is it scans the item uh, using this proprietary technology of this German company called ScanBlue has developed. It is world leading. There's nothing like it. It's pretty affordable too. If you compare it to the human modelers, it's the same price, if not better. It's scalable. It's a better image. It's faster. And the whole way that that works is if you have a product, like let's just say, for example, a cup, you would send us the cup, we would scan the item, and then we would provide you a 3D model. And it's a pretty easy, effective process. And we're able to accommodate thousands and thousands of products and catalogs. And so I'm super excited about that. I think that that's going to be the number one most significant thing to e-commerce companies. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased because we're in the business. This is the reason why I put the bet on this because I see how amazing the technology is and I see what it's done for my shops firsthand. And now we can bring that to the masses. So, you know, I can say my like unbiased opinion, you know, from a site. I would say, you know, if I'm looking at five years, 10 years trend, it certainly will become a new norm. Similar to how, you know, like right now, like live streaming is becoming a new norm in Asia, right? You know, people buying through live streams when you're a live person discussing the product and showing certain features, etc. I think the same thing will happen to 3D. Even right now, like I couldn't imagine buying glasses on the internet or trying a virtual trial, right? So the same thing exists for so many other products, especially if you're like design-based and looks-based, right? Sure. And this is all just starting to open up. So going back to trying on some glasses, yeah, that's possible now. Our technology partners are working on all sorts of amazing applications. But I will tell you, in the next two or three years, you'll be able to try on clothes, glasses, watches, hat. You'll be able to see an item and be able to make that educated decision that you need to make in e-commerce And now with COVID accelerating the e-commerce cycle, you know, some people are saying five to seven years, we've jumped into the future. I don't think, I think that's maybe a little aggressive, but it's only accelerated this entire process. And so by being able to deliver a better user experience to your customers where they are able to see the item in augmented reality or in 3D, it's really going to make a really significant difference. And I'm not the only one, obviously, that thinks it's going to be the new normal, as you just said as well. Yeah. Shopify themselves have invested a lot in this technology to where you can deploy this natively into Shopify right now. So those of you that are out there that have a Shopify website, it's as simple as sending us a product. We send you the 3D model back and then you drag and drop that and drop it right on your product page, just like you would a product photo. And you have that on your website and you can actually check that out. If you want to look at, for example, on like one of our stores, you could look at buddyrest.com. That's B-U-D-D-Y-R-E-S-T.com. And you can see how we put our dog beds in augmented reality. And if you wanted to learn more about how we actually get the product into 3D, you can look at ScanShop, which is really easy. It's scan.shop, S-C-A-N dot S-H-O-P. Cool. You're in very like competitive niche right now, right? And in recent years, you know, pet industry and market was just exploding literally, you know, like by days from what I've seen. Even right now, all the new trends, you know, like raw food, et cetera, you know, like taking care of your pet better, you know, personalized even diet, et cetera. So it's very hard to stand out in this market and you really need to nail your branding, marketing and strategy well. So what are your secrets to dominate competition in oversaturated niches? That's a fantastic question. Super glad you asked that because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. You know, in the pet industry in particular, there is a lot of Me Too products. And if you create something special and unique, you can count on a lot of emulation, to say nicely. Really, ultimately, the key for success, at least in our business model, and I think there's a lot of different paths up the mountain. So when I'm sharing our experience, it's not advice. It's just kind of what we have found and what has worked for us. 
And to share my experience would be that differentiation is everything. So how do you differentiate the product? How do you differentiate the marketing? And the marketing is super important because it doesn't matter how amazing your product is. If you fail to articulate why it's different or why it's special or why it's worthwhile or why it should have a higher perceived value versus the next product, it doesn't matter how great the product is. So what I always recommend people do is what we do, at least in our industry and in this particular market, we look at what problems do we want to solve. And we start with that. Oftentimes, people kind of create a product to solve a problem. We look at what the problem is first and then try to reverse engineer the product. And along the way, we try to solve not only that problem, but is there other problems that we can solve as well with a different performance fabric, a different size zipper, a different type of foam? You know, how can we make the best product? How can we refine it? And so once we've done that, we've created the product, we put it out there for validation. And that's a beautiful thing about owning your own channels is that you're able to get that validation quickly. You know, 10, 15 years ago with product design, if you're ordering it from Asia, even for example, you're going to have to hope for the best, order a container load, lay out a lot of money for inventory. And when, if it doesn't go well, then you start to liquidate it and start to put it into other channels. We have the ability to create a product and put it for sale and see if people like it or not without having to create hundreds or thousands or even tens. We can make one or two prototypes. And now with the advent of 3D, you have the ability to really put products out in the market that in some cases don't even exist. And you can really pre-sell them or see what people really think. So my experience share is if you really want to survive in this world, you must differentiate your product offering and you must have the marketing that matches it, that is able to articulate why your product is better. If you're trying to be the same as everyone else, you're going to get lost in the mix. And the other thing that I would like to share is I think that as much as you possibly can, you need to be as relational as possible with your customer base versus being transactional. Oftentimes, these me too companies, they're just transactional. They're always about the quick buck. They have a, it's 50 cents less. It's made somewhere cheaper. But at the end of the day is if you can form a relationship with your customers, that is ultimately what is going to lead to success in the next two, three, four, five years because those customers, they can buy these products anywhere. And why they want to buy products from you is because you offer something special. And it's not just the product offering. It's what it's highly curated. It's differentiated. But you also, you do the extra little things when it comes to service. Service is not a differentiator. So people yeah. talk about, why is your business special? Well, we offer the best service. That is just par for the course. That is any in the game now. It is not going to yeah. be what makes you special. It's either you do it or you don't. So I highly recommend investing in great customer service people differentiating your products, making sure they're special, and then making sure that your marketing's on point and being able to tell the story. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned you know creating relationships instead of you know just being transactional. And I think this is where we are heading, you know, like once again, if you're looking at five, 10 years trend, you know, we're going more onto this personal connection route. And this is why, you know, with all the clients, we are pushing them to create like Facebook groups for their buyers, right? To create VIP communities for their groups. And in general, you need to push the brand story more and ideally get the founders behind the scene and kind of in the ads telling the story what's happening, you know, behind the brand we're showing the manufacturing facility, showing the team, telling team stories, how the product was designed, etc. Because people are more about the story right now instead of just buying the product itself. And you could justify the price this way. Sure. And you know, one thing that's never changed is that people buy from people they like, right? So it's not always about just the product and the price, right? People buy from people they like. If you've ever been a salesperson (laughs) in a a sales scenario, and let's just say in a brick and mortar store, You'll know that people come in all the time. There's the people that like you or the people that like the best salesman. 
those are the people that make the sales. And so the building rapport and that connection is more important than ever, especially with people shut in homes, seeking out human connection. You have to be able to provide that. So I think you're absolutely right. Being somebody that has the brand messaging, the people behind it, letting them know that we're human beings too, and we've created an amazing product will resonate with people. So don't be afraid to lift up the skirt a little and show people what's behind the scenes. And you know, when you're developing your own business, you know, through the years, how did you change your branding and how do you align yourself with audience better? So there's a lot of different things that we do now, obviously. And so I'll specifically talk about Buddy Rest just to keep things in scope, where I think it's the most understandable. And it also goes back to the origin story we talked about. What we've looked at doing is how do we create better, higher quality images? How do we create crisper content? How do we deploy straightforward techniques that aren't shady and sketchy or even tchotchke, like spin the wheel goes and stuff like that. And we try to avoid that. Our brand is a world leader. Buddy Rest is the world's best dog beds. So if we're going to claim we're the world's best dog beds, we've really focused on how do we reinforce that. And we don't do it with clever puns and memes. We do it with veterinarian recommendations. We do it with industry recognition awards. We recently won the World Branding Award for dog beds in Austria, and it was a global event, very prestigious honor. And it was really special for us because we got all that validation. You know, ultimately, what is most validating is knowing that our product makes an impact out there for customers and obviously their animals. But if you're talking about how do we reinforce the fact that we're the world's best as we continue to prove it day in and day out by innovating our products, making our products better than the next product next to it. And then also making sure that our marketing is able to articulate that to where people are able to see that and we are able to get that recognition. That's really what I think it is. But it's ultimately, it's Kaizen principles. It's continuing every single day to try to improve on every single process, every single product. And I think that that resonates with me on a personal level too, is that I'm a, a flawed human being just like everybody else. But every single day, I try to do a little bit better than I did yesterday. And I don't always succeed, but it's always a work in progress. Yeah. And you know, it's amazing, you know, how quickly it compiles because, you know, I personally also started my journey, you know, by knowing literally nothing. But, you know, each day, if you become just like half percent better, not even one person, it quickly compounds, you know, like take a year, one hour a day, you know, like 365 hours. That's a lot of time. You can learn any skill in that amount of time, really. Yeah. You want to fly a plane, you want to learn how to be a Google AdWords expert, you know, figure out how you apply your time and really understand is if what you want in life is to sit around and waste six hours a day watching funny cat videos on the internet, that's great. But if you want to build something significant and make an impact and be your own boss, and then you got to put the work in. Cool. Okay, let's talk about expansion and product development because I know you did not stop with just like one product. You acquired other ones and most likely developed quite a bit broader range of products. So what was the reasoning behind that? Once again, innovation is a, it's a differentiator for us, but it's one of our core values is that our mission statement for Buddy Rest has always been to improve the lives of animals with innovation and integrity. And so how do we continue to innovate? How do we make it better? How do we make our product better? That's something that's not only important because someone else will come and knock you off or come in and and maybe tell the story better, even if their product's not better. So you got to always stay on your toes, always continue to innovate. But also if you look at it, being an American manufacturer in a sea of, let's just say, non-domestic manufacturers, almost all pet products now are made in Asia, the vast, vast majority of them. So if we're going to compete with that, we need to take a different path. And our path is not trying to make 
the same products as everyone else. We're trying to do something different and special and innovative. And we're able to do that with the framework that we've built. In our facility, we've got our own photography. We've got our own cut and sew system. So literally, if I have an idea for a new bed, I can take it back there. They can create the bed. We can put it in product photography and we can put it on the website and see if people like the bed or don't like the bed. We can check with social media, get feedback and validation. But going back to our conversation that we were talking about earlier as far as the exposure, that's a huge competitive advantage versus having to bring in container after container and hope for the best. And as a friend of mine likes to say, hope's never a good plan. You need to yeah. actually have a plan and not hope. And so the product innovation, I think, is super important, especially in this day and age and especially in our industry, just to stay out in front. Because while someone's knocking you off, you're already working on two or three steps ahead of them. And that's the way we compete, survive and advance and thrive. And how do you look for these like new ideas, you know, and clues for new products and innovations? So really, like we have a focus on solving problems. So when you determine what the problem is, is it a big enough problem that's a pain point for people? And then how would we go about solving it? And then when we think about solving problems, and I think with everything, with our new 3D company and with our multiple brands, ultimately, what I like to think about is not just how do we solve the problem, but how do we solve the problem in the most native, intuitive way possible, Right. And I think that's super important that, you know, when you think about user experience, when you're designing a website, you need to think about user experience when you're creating your packaging, when you're creating your packing slip. Always keep user experience in mind and always think about how can we make this as seamless and intuitive as possible. And so that's just what we do. And it seemed to have worked for us. Cool. And you know, like entrepreneurship is kind of like a journey that really is full of ups and downs, just as you mentioned. So I like to ask this question a lot of people, you know, how the hell do you keep your sanity going through ups and downs? Because, you know, like 10 years in entrepreneurship, you know, you certainly had your ups and downs. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I think that's a great question and something I like to talk a little bit about the darker side of entrepreneurship because it can be very dark if you let it be, right? So it's not for everybody. It takes a tremendous amount of sacrifice relationships get sacrificed, money gets sacrificed. There's just sacrifice that has to be involved. But no great thing was built without sacrifice. So the ups and downs are really, I think, what you need to manage. And I think that you've already obviously got it figured out. And it's a great question. But ultimately, what I would suggest as far as my experience goes, if it helps any other entrepreneurs out there, is that just know you have to manage the ups and downs with an even keel. The ups are never going to be as great as you imagine, at least in my experience. And the downs are never as bad as they seem, at least in my experience. And so it's easy to ride that emotional roller coaster. And that roller coaster, that emotional roller coaster only leads to dissatisfaction and burnout. What you have to have is you have to have that even keel that even when things are look amazing, you know, you're still not over the top. And then when things are terrible, it's not as bad as it seems. And if you can remember that and your experience will carry you the rest of the way. And I think besides that, I think ultimately tenacity is super important. The difference between some people making it and some people don't is just where they quit or don't quit. And the people that I see around me that are successful, they refuse to quit when others would have quit five or 10 or 15 times over. Don't quit. Keep after it. Keep learning. But also, you know, keep centered, whether it's work-life balance or you want to call it work-life integration, find a way to balance your relationships the best you can. Put in the work where you can and don't let the ups and downs swallow you up. (laughs) <laughs> so what, Trevor, thanks for your time, bud. It was great having you here and certainly quite a bit of like interesting ideas, especially about 3D scan. Sure. I really appreciate you having me on. And if I can be of assistance to anybody in any capacity, whether it be in pet products or 3D, 
find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure you post my information in the show notes below. Yeah, I'm happy to connect if you want to talk about 3D scans or pet products, or if you want to talk about some of the challenges in your website as well. I'm happy to, to talk with anybody and I look forward to it. Enjoying this podcast? Consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. This helps us to grow and create more amazing content like this for you.